listeners, and welcome to this, the 200th episode of the NK News podcast. Today, it's the evening of Monday, September 13th in Seoul, and I'm joined on the line by most of the NK News team for a big special roundtable discussion about the latest events in North Korea. We were going to have a celebration episode, but we've decided to postpone it to next week because there's too much news to share and discuss. Before I introduce everyone, I'd like to ask all the listeners, please, to do the three R's, that is rate, review, and reshare this podcast episode. I was looking at the viewership numbers for Joe Rogan's podcast recently, and frankly, I'm quite jealous. I would love to have just 10% of his audience, and you can help us to achieve that by rating, reviewing, and resharing the podcast and telling people about it. Also, if you haven't already, please go to our website, nknews.org, and think about becoming a paid subscriber. Subscriptions help to keep NK News going and provide the best in North Korea-focused journalism day after day. What's more, visit our online shop at nknews.org shop while you're there to have a look at art prints and posters and also books that we have on offer. The recently released North Korea Leadership Organogram poster is really an excellent and attractive resource. Now to introduce our guests on the podcast who are here for this mega roundtable. There are quite a lot of them. We have Collins Wurko, Jongmin Kim, Wangi Jong, Peter Ward, Professor Andre Lankov, and making their debuts on the NK News podcast, we have correspondent Cheon Jong and our state media monitor, Sungyeon Jong. So we will have apologies from NK News and NK Pro founder, Chatter Carroll, who was hoping to be here, but he's going to have to just content himself with sending his regards from his vacation retreat somewhere on the Korean Peninsula. Welcome on the show, everyone. We've never had this many people on the uh, roundtable before. I'm curious to see how it works out. Um, as I said uh, earlier, recent, originally, we were going to have a special party celebration episode for number 200, uh, and we were going to record it last week, Thursday evening on the 9th of September. But then unexpectedly, we were honored by North Korea with a nighttime parade through the streets of Pyongyang just after midnight on Thursday. And that meant that some of our guests today were rushing around to put out stories about the parade. And it's perhaps ironic that the parade that Pyongyang clearly held to commemorate our 200th episode ended up actually postponing the recording of the episode for four days. Uh, we were going to try again this morning, and then we had to reschedule once again uh, because North Korea had tested some long-range missiles over the weekend. So as uh, President George W. Bush once said, postpone me once, shame on me, postpone me twice. Well, it must be a missile test. Because of the recent events, we'll be talking about them today. Uh, and next week, we'll be having a kind of an Ask Me Anything type episode. So do please send in your uh, questions to podcast at nknews.org, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at JackOZ, and you can send me questions there as well. And if they're thoughtful and decent questions, I might read them out on the show to the, uh, the assembled guests, and we'll see what kind of an episode that ends up being. All right, so let's start talking about the parade. Of course, I should come clean and point out to our listeners that the parade was nothing to do with our 200th episode. Uh, as worthwhile as we might think that milestone is, it was actually to mark the 73rd anniversary of the founding of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea as a state on September the 9th, 1948. And this date, September 9th officially, is called Inmin Jongkwon Changon Il, or the Foundation Day of the People's Government, and unofficially as Gugujol, or 99 Day in North Korea. And North Korean calendars actually describe it as the day when Kim Il-sung himself founded the DPRK, setting the first leader of the DPRK above the state, almost like Tangun, who founded the mythical kingdom of Kojoseon 5,000 years ago. But 73 years isn't as big a deal as 70 or 75. Um, so why would North Korea take the coronavirus risk and go to the trouble of putting on uh, a nighttime parade like this? We can only speculate. And to get our first speculation, let me turn to Jongmin Kim. The years that end in zero and five, they're called Jongjunyeon in Korean. And that's why initially when Colin actually saw on satellite imagery that there were some preparations ongoing. There were some dates that we were thinking of. 9-9, Fugujar was definitely there, but we thought there were other possibilities, like sometime in October, 
like October 10th, October 8th. Mm. But it seems that the theme this time, unlike other military parades that we saw in October or January, this one they called it the parade of paramilitary and public security forces, which means that they were focusing on these reserve forces rather than actual military military people with heavy weapons. We did not see any ICBMs rolling out um, down the Kim Il-sung Square. It was more like these students or uh, the the units coming from all sides of the country, like uh, the the regional provincial party leaders, um, they were coming and marching, goose stepping throughout Kim Il-sung Square while Kim Jong-un was watching. Of course, the headlines that went to most in mainstream media were the hazmat suit wearing anti-epidemic uh, fighters, which were uh, wearing masks and the orange domestic hazmat suits. And it seemed that the entire theme was really revolving around how North Korea has been safeguarding the country's people from uh, dangers like COVID-19 rather than showing off military uh, like weapons like mm. in the past two parades. What's the uh, the Korean word for paramilitary? What was the word for paramilitary? Yeah, I, 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 um, I just wonder what the North Korean word for paramilitary is. In North Korean? No, no. It's uh, in uh, in the headline they use uh, mingan and anjon muyok. Yes, yeah, I, I saw that as the the on the YouTube. You can find uh, listeners the entire video, one hour and forty four minutes of the parade uh, on YouTube. Uh, we'll we'll share the uh, the link in our show notes. And I saw there at the start of the video it, it said uh, mingan mit anjon muyok yolbyongshik, uh, and I didn't know that that was the word for uh, for paramilitary. That's interesting. Okay, I. I've always understood Mingunda means uh, something uh, civil, uh, civil or, or civilian. Right, but that in North Korea, the idea of military, uh, the, the, the people who are able to fight is a little bit different from other countries, right? Mm. Basically, everybody who are of abled body, they can fight. And right. we saw these agricultural marchers as well, carrying guns as well during the parade. Yes. Okay. And also the uh, the video called it a Yolbyong Shik, which is um, often translated into English as military parade uh, or military review. Uh, is that why this parade was was called in English, even on our own website, a military parade when it wasn't really, whereas the, uh, while the military was really a small part of the parade only, and as you point out, no new weapons systems on display? Yeah, I mean, it was a military parade. It's, it's, uh, there are nuances here. Uh, the the most of the well every single one of the uh, there were 37 groups that marched through the square almost all of them were what they call worker present red guards and that's like what Jungmin said was these are people who theoretically are uh, trained and are going to defend their province their factory their fields their companies uh, in the case of war so a lot of the language uh, in the state media reports on this was about how they would defend from the enemy's uh, infiltration or mm. attack. Um, but yeah, I mean, the military men were, were still standing right next to Kim Jong-un on the reviewing stand. Mm. Uh, people in the KPA, the Korean People's Army, were in charge of this in a way. So it was fully a, a, a military parade um, just with a, a different kind of message. And uh, yeah, there were artillery uh, shells uh, dragging, dragged by tractors. Uh, there were uh, anti-tank guided missiles. Uh, th this was a military parade. I'd like to get Peter and uh, and Andre's uh, comments on this parade. Did you watch it? No, I didn't. I limited myself to looking through pictures. And it was quite interesting. I might be wrong, but I cannot recall anything like that in the past. Parade, Yolbensig was always about military. Uh, sometimes they could, uh, you could see some, you know, people going through ROTC training or as it's called, Walkers and Peasants Red Guard, which is basically the analog to the National Guard in the United States, mm. which has been mentioned. Uh, but something like that with, you know, horses and dogs and fire engines, it yeah. was a bit unusual. So, but why did they do it? I believe there were two reasons. And one sounds a bit personalistic, but Kim Jong-un just loves parades. 
Uh, because if you look at the statistics in the entire history from 1948 to now, mm -hmm. there have been 25 parades, 25 parades under his father and grandfather and 10 after under him. Huh. Uh, so basically the frequency under his father and grandfather rule was essentially one parade in two and a half years. Yeah. And under him, we have basically a parade per year, roughly. Mm. And uh, over the last 10, actually 11 months, we, it was the third parade. Uh, we had it in October last year, we had it in January, and have, we have it now. Yeah. Uh, so first he likes, likes it well. And he, it was a, it was a beautiful kind of stuff. Uh, it was, you know, uh, night time, and they did January parade first time ever. It was in night mm. back then. Many people, including myself, sort of expected it was uh, because uh, you know of secrecy. But maybe they just wanted to have a good picture, and they had it again. Uh, first, second, why such a strange choice? Uh, well, obviously a bit like a uh, uh, launch of cruise missile now. They are sending signal to the United States and the world community. Hi, guys, we are here. Don't forget, they are very dangerous. Mm. Don't forget about us. Uh, don't think that time on, the, on your side, we are devising something. They are very main, basically a threat for you. Yes. And uh, so it was a signal, but it was a very calibrated signal. Uh, because they did not show missiles this time, and uh, they launched cruise missile, not ballistic missile. So it was signal for the Americans. Yes, guys, we are around. Don't forget. Hurry up. We need concessions. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they did not cross the red line. Was it their decision, or was it Beijing in Chinese pressure? I know not. I'm inclined to believe it's China, because China doesn't want them to be excessively provocative. Yeah, it's probably all. Yes, I don't want to talk about the uh, the missile launch just yet. I want to save that for a moment and, and just focus on the uh, the parade for a bit. Uh, was it also um, something you know, for, mainly for a domestic audience to rally the troops, as it were, and, and lift national spirits during this uh, this period of hardship? Uh, perhaps, perhaps as I had, it was a good picture. I did not watch it. I just saw some photos, but it's uh, it was interesting. And you see all these people marching in formation and horses and dogs and you know everything. Mm -hmm. Boys like it. Boys like it. I say, um, Sunyon, you actually transcribed the entire parade, didn't you? Yes, I did. What for you was the uh, well? Was there any part that was more interesting than the others? Was there any message that uh, you hadn't heard before that was interesting? Well. I I kind of felt like it it was really uh for the domestics rather than um for foreign mess for foreign like countries. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I've monitored up a previous uh, military parade in last um, January and October, yep. but um, you know that was like they like showed showed off the military like guns and tanks last time but in this time they they were like the normal people just walk out and they marched so i i kind of felt like it was really for domestic mm. purpose so i would say um in one sentence that it was for domestics it was all about the domestics and they said uh you they mentioned the kim jong-un joseon uh and it's kind of um I think it was very symbolistic and it, it really have a significance because um, Kim Jong-un Joseon means like they characterize the DPRK as the Kim Jong-un's nations. Right. So, so that was kind of interesting for me. Okay, that's so a that's a fascinating development. Yeah, Peter, go on. Well, I mean, it's in North Korea used to be known as uh, Kim Il-sung Joseon, so now it's exactly. Kim, Kim Jong-un Joseon. And talk and, about usurping one's grandfather. And as I just said earlier, the calendar specifically says uh, that this is the day when Kim Il-sung founded the country. So to then, on that day when his grandfather founded the country, to then specifically call it Kim Jong-un's Korea, Kim Jong-un Joseon, that's, as you said, that's a very interesting development and, and a very, uh, yeah, it's almost usurping the role, but it's also linking it to, to his uh, grandfather, isn't it? But it happens, uh, what, nine months after? Was it actually less, more like six months after uh, 
the youth league uh, ceased to be known as Kim Il Sung, uh, the Kim Il Sung Youth League, and became the Socialist Youth League again. So right. there seems to be, I don't know. There's one gets the feeling sometimes that he's sort of trying to uh, write. Uh, his father and grandfather out uh, of sort of regime propaganda to some extent to create more room for his own personality cult. Wouldn't that, I mean, without removing some of those giant statues, that would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? Uh, ooh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I would say that you can keep the statues, uh, yeah. but you're probably going to have to start building more statues to, to father and probably eventually start building statues to yourself as well. Um, okay. I, I guess uh, you start by um, de-emphasizing their cults in the newspapers and in uh, you know daily press coverage and, mm -hmm. and the like. De-emphasize the rituals surrounding their lives. De-emphasize de you know include less programs on the TV about their um, about their glorious exploits and more about your own glorious exploits, as it were. Look, if if you're right, that's fascinating. That's something definitely to uh, to look forward to in in coming years to see whether that messaging changes. Right. It seemed that the lack of reference to Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-un also sort of tacks with the recently changed party rule that we saw before. Um, we saw that a lot of direct mentions of Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung were, were changed to like other nouns. And when I when we check the transcript, the only time they mentioned Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung during the parade is only at the start when they say that they are showing their most dignified uh, greetings to their late leaders and also just referring to some, something like Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, Rodong class. So they are not referring to them um, in other sentences, which means um, it seems that they are putting a little bit more effort towards maybe a personality cult of, or, of Kim Jong-un and or uh, maybe a little bit more of an institutionalized look. Now, it also uh, looked visibly like uh, Kim Jong-un had lost quite a bit of weight um, up there on the rostrum. That always gets a lot of attention from the uh, tabloids and the mainstream press. Uh, but is it something that we at NK News also take seriously? Echo, we covered this uh, a few months ago. It's just the, uh, and as you know, but that's just the, I mean, can we talk for a second? Maybe we don't need to, but the mainstream media went pretty pretty wild with this parade. I don't know what happened, but CBS was like, you know, a, a thin Kim steals the spotlight. And mm. Bloomberg said, uh, you know, trim and tan and BBC and CNN. And uh, I don't know, they all kind of went a little bit out of control on this one. So uh, I guess the point is, uh, sure, he lost some weight. We saw that in June already. Um, we know that that's something that uh, matters for international politics because he leads a, a country as a dictator, but uh, it was not the main point of this parade uh, whatsoever. Mm. Uh, Kim Jong-un did not give a speech or an address to the crowds assembled. Uh, is that significant? Wangi, what do you think? I mean, we talked to experts about that um, and we didn't really give a, got a clear answer about why he didn't get, give a speech there. Um, but I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think I really don't have a clear answer to that. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, his father, Kim Jong-il, um, was not known for his public speaking. I think he, um, I always forget the word, but it, he, he once said one short sentence at a parade, and that was pretty much the extent of his public speaking, uh, at least uh, in terms of what we have recorded. Uh, so perhaps it's no big deal. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal because he, he doesn't have a, there's never been a, a trend or a pattern that says he speaks at every appearance um, mm. in terms of big events like this. And also, I guess uh, you have to keep in mind that they had they held their banquet where they were all drinking soju together just a few mm. hours before the parade. So uh, every pretty much everyone up on the viewing stand was seen in front of the Workers' Party building uh, uh, taking shots of soju. So right. there's that. Uh, and then, as uh, Jongmin mentioned earlier, we had uh, at one hour and about seven minutes, uh, this um, unit of uh, pandemic control units clad from head to toe in these orange hazmat suits. Now, you'd imagine that you'd get pretty hot in a full-bodied suit like that, even if you're marching after midnight on a warm September night. But uh, they they seem to, to you know, goose step without a hitch. But I know that would certainly be tough for me, um, these kind of nighttime parades. And it makes me wonder, you know, um, what's the the kind of preparation or practice that's required to put on a parade like this? Do we have any uh, any sense of of how long they were preparing for it? 
Did um, yeah, Eagle Eye Colin perhaps see something in the uh, the satellite photography in the days leading up to it? Sure, yeah. So um, uh, I would say comparatively, now this isn't, uh, I can't speak perfectly factually because I don't know if they could have been practicing elsewhere uh, prior to what we saw, but on August, it appears around August 30th in available satellite imagery that they started their outdoor uh, block you know, goose stepping formation training at this uh, facility where they always practice for these parades going back uh, uh, years and years uh, in Pyongyang called Mi the Mirim, uh, unofficially the Mirim military parade training grounds. Uh, so we saw them start on August 30th and the parade was on September 9th. Mm. Um, so that meant that uh, I was speculating they usually uh, begin this exact kind of formation training, the goose step training in full scale, where you can actually see them filling out the little fake, uh, the, uh, the, actually the, the full the replica of Kimmelsung Square at this training grounds. Uh, when they fill it up with all the little blocks of troop formations in, the, in satellite imagery, uh, usually that starts anywhere from a couple weeks to about uh, a month and a half prior to a parade. But in the last year, there, uh, this kind of these kinds of patterns have changed a lot. So, uh, before the January parade, this kind of training showed up nine days prior to the event, which matches exactly up with what we saw last week. Um, whereas last October, this kind of training began quite early at around five and a half weeks prior to the event. So, mm. uh, it's really hard to to look at this kind of training now and make uh, accurate um, predictions, uh, at least less so than before. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if they really did start this training uh, at the end of August, it would have been quite a short training period. So maybe um, if they participated in these in the last year, which I don't know, because these are worker present Red Guards instead of uh, military troop units. Right. Yeah. Then maybe they saw this as a less of a, a harsh uh, training period. But um, the facts are uh, not so filled out on that. Now, I believe this is, or this was the third uh, nighttime parade in a row. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, I'd love, it would be fascinating to talk to somebody from Pyongyang who took part in, in any of these nighttime parades or even a daytime parade for that matter. Because I, I always wonder whether uh, it energizes its participants or does it exhaust them? You know, how do they feel afterwards? Do they feel elated or empty? Uh, and of course, we also saw uh, on the footage, quite a few children and very, very old people, perhaps even from Kim Il-sung's generation up there. And that must take its toll after a while. Yeah, I would say to be fair, you can definitely see some moments of, of uh, some candid moments in pictures we have from past events or even on state TV where they're smiling or they're, um, that you can maybe guess that there's some genuine sense of, uh, of enjoying the participation in the moment. Maybe it's enthrill uh, thrilling. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's also stories. I've, I've heard a story in a similar type of event, a, a children's torch march, where they were all, the, the children were tossing their flames into, a, into the pits, and then they were being, they were getting smoke all in their faces, and it was a horribly dangerous experience. So I oh, think boy. it's probably a mix. Yeah, uh, There's probably some camaraderie going on, but I'm, I'm sure this is not a cakewalk, and we shouldn't, mm. we shouldn't think that they all enjoy it. Yeah, and, and it does look like an emotional experience. I mean, at the end, when uh, when Kim Jong Un was you know um, saying goodbye and walking along the rostrum to uh, to you know sort of exit stage left, uh, we saw lots of faces of people uh, you know weeping and, and reaching out to him uh, as we often do when when Kim Jong Un does a uh, a site visit or he's uh, you know um, surrounded by soldiers who are walking through the ocean to get to him in a boat and that sort of thing. So it, it does look like a very emotional experience. I wonder, uh, there was a, a moment almost at the very end of the video, the, the video is um, an hour and 44 minutes long, almost at the very end, at one hour and uh, 40 minutes and 21 seconds in, there was a, a, a point where the crowd all starts to rush forward through uh, Kim Il-sung Square to try to greet Kim Jong-un at the front after the formalities are over. And almost at exactly the same time, the orchestra podium starts to race in the opposite direction on wheels, sweeping people before it like some kind of giant snowplow, only it was plowing humans instead of snow. And it looked to me like it would be a miracle if nobody got hurt or fell down in front of that thing. It certainly didn't look very well uh, well organized. Did anybody see that or was it just me? 
Yeah, I saw that, but it was confusing because it seemed because of the camera angle changing, it looked like the podium was pushed back, but it seemed like it was actually just staying there and people swarming to the front rather than the orchestra podium moving. Really, Peter, you sure. I got you to look at it. What did you think of it? I, I thought it was honestly quite dangerous, to be honest. Um, did it look to you like the orchestra <laughs> and podium was moving or the people were moving or both? The people, it looked like both were moving. It didn't look like the, the orchestra podium was actually going to hit anyone, but it looked like pe it looked like people could crush each other very easily because the ah. speed at which people were moving looked very dangerous to me. Right. It, it uh, was the size of the crowd. What, I'd, be, I'd be curious what Dr. Lankoff thinks of uh, why people are rushing and showing uh, this kind of emotion towards Kim Jong-un. Because it's expected behavior, and if you are not running fast enough, somebody will notice it, and it might have some impact on your future. Of course, there is a sort of mutual infection, but honestly, well, you know, we have seen many cases like that, you famous, you know, Stalin's funeral, when there was massive crowd and a large number of people, nobody knows for sure how many, Dozens, maybe hundreds were killed. Uh, we have seen the same situation when, you know, uh, Red Guards, rallies, uh, and Mao, Chairman Mao, greeting them. Sometimes it's partially sincere. Sometimes you just want to show your zeal. Um, uh, Chewan, we haven't heard much from you. What did you think of this parade? Was it your first parade to watch from start to finish? Um, yes, it was. Um, <laughs> so I think... One Gay's analysis piece last week really summed up the parade really well. Mm -hmm. I think what was unique about this year's military parade, you know, as everyone already pointed out, I'm just gonna echo everyone, um, is that its targeted audience was the people of North Korea rather than people outside North Korea. And I know you said you want to wait on today's missile launch, but if I if I can just mention this super quickly, the sure. significance of today's missile launch comes from the parade, you know, because compared to heavily domestic targeted parade from last week, you know, today's missile launch appears to be more targeted toward those outside North Korea. So that's my take. Okay. Now, Andre, you said uh, you thought that the, the parade was um, also targeted at a foreign audience. Does anybody actually agree with Andre or does he stand alone on this? Well, I'd say it's mixed, you know, it's okay to, to, to look at the details. And yeah, if you read the, if you listen to the, the narration, if you read the state media, there are a lot of references to uh, defending against the enemies and, and an aggressive kind of uh, atmosphere of this, of this was to, to feel emboldened, to be able to fight against an apparently dangerous enemy. So yeah, that's domestic focused, but um, they're also showing off this, the messages we can defend every inch of our country, mm -hmm. uh, look at all these guns we have that are, you know, uh, apparently stationed in every corner of the country. Um, they have artillery. Yeah, I, there's a, it's a mix, but on the whole, yeah, I think I would say domestic. I should ask Sungyun, uh, Sungyun, since you were looking or you were listening to the words that were spoken during the parade, as well as watching the images, uh, was there any specific references to America or any other foreign enemy, or was it just very general, we can fight any enemy? No, I didn't. They didn't mention uh, United States mm -hmm. in other countries, mm -hmm. as far as I know. Okay. That's also a trend that they've really been very intentionally uh, dropping uh, the word, you know, for America and just saying the enemies or the hostile forces or the mm -hmm. class enemies. This has been a trend for the since 2018, basically, unless they're really sending a message uh, directly mm. to the U.S. in like a foreign ministry statement or, or you know, Kim Yajong or something. Right. So they're they're keeping up with that uh, messaging. That's interesting. Uh, just before we move on to talking about the, uh, the the missile launches over the weekend, since we're talking about North Korean propaganda and media, we should mention that. Um, uh, output on YouTube seems to really have ramped up lately, right? There was that time when um, North Korea's social media accounts were uh, off the Twitter, off the YouTube. They found a new channel back on uh, YouTube, the uh, the channel Sam Jion. Uh, it, it looks like it's written as if it were the name of a person, but it's um, God, what? It, it's the name of the lake on top of Pektusan, isn't it? Or am I confusing myself? No, no, it's a, an area near Pektusan. Lake, 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 a lake oh. on the top of Pektusan. Okay. That's like Chon. 
Samjion is just a city. Samjion is a city Am near right? Pekchosan, near the border with China. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like the new utopian city, quote unquote. Oh, that that's right, the utopian up. city. Yes, we talked about that last year. But anyway, so the uh, the YouTube channel called Sam John has really been pumping out a heck of a lot of stuff, including some really long videos like this full one hour and 44 minutes of the parade and um, stories about South Korean politics. Uh, it's really been quite interesting to see. And a lot of that stuff um, has been taken from Uri Minzokiri, but uh, now it, it, it has a wider reach, a wider audience on YouTube. It makes me wonder whether this YouTube channel will last or whether it will also be taken off the air. Any, anyone have any thoughts on that, how long it might last? Uh, I mean, they've had so many YouTube channels. Uh, they are a dime a dozen. They pop up. It's like whack-a-mole. Mm. Uh, this one, I, I don't even really know uh, who's running this one. But yeah, it seems like it's state media affiliated. Uh, I don't see anything special really with this channel. It's really just a re-uploader. Right. Well, okay. I guess what I'm wondering is, has YouTube or Google or Alphabet ever made any statement that it wants to take all of uh, North Korea's media channels off of YouTube? Or is it, I mean, why why no, play whack-a-mole if that's not a policy? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like we can run a story uh, from what I've heard is um, they get taken down when certain people complain directly to YouTube. And that can mm. even be from the media. You know, I've heard stories where the media reaches out to, to YouTube about a certain company, uh, about a certain channel specifically, yeah. like, hey, why isn't this channel been taken down because of sanctions? And then YouTube's like, oh, thanks. And they mm. take it down. And then people like us or researchers don't really appreciate that. Um, right. You know, because I, I don't I don't have a I don't care if it's up. Uh, violating sanctions personally it's just useful as a researcher yeah. okay maybe i shouldn't have mentioned the name of the channel there forget that i said samjian everybody it's uh, it's not that one peter uh, economically speaking um back to the parade for a second I, I forgot to ask economically speaking how could the cost of a parade such as the one that we saw last thursday be measured is there a large cost to a nation like North Korea to hold an event like this and have people practicing at it for you know ten days at a time rather than doing their actual work? Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, on the one hand, yes, you do have some fixed costs involved, like uh, petrol um, and vehicle, uh, you know, damage to vehicles, uh, mm. depreciation costs related to vehicles, and then you've obviously you're supposed to feed participants. Yeah. But what you often find with North Korea is the central government uh, has a habit of. Uh, passing these costs on to the participants. So they usually have to, they may have to feed themselves. They may have to fuel their own vehicles. They're, you know, units that are mobilized to do the parades uh, may be required to take care of their own vehicles and even supply their, you know, actually buy their own vehicles on, on the open market. So it's an open question how much of, how much of the cost was actually paid by the central government. Um, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that would almost be in line with the idea that uh, North Korea's foreign missions have to be self-supporting financially yeah, exactly i mean this you know this idea of independent budgets um and uh you know regional local self-sufficiency and enterprise level self-sufficiency uh, is not a new thing as well so um i wouldn't be surprised if uh, a lot of the participants were forced to provide for themselves and uh, just see uh summons to participate as an honor in its own right hmm. okay wow yeah <laughs> i I have to just speaking entirely for myself, being asked to uh, dress in that orange hazmat suit with the full face mask on and and march around for a couple of hours, uh, the the honor would wear off pretty quickly, I would think. All right, well, let's now talk about the missile tests over the weekend. Um, Wangi, can I ask you to sort of summarize for us what was launched and how many? Uh, Jacko, I'm so sorry. I don't get all the didn't get the all the technical details about it. Would it be possible to ask that question either to Jungmin or um, Colin? You bet, uh, Jungmin. What was launched and how many over the weekend? According to North Korean state media, uh, they said that uh, the missiles tested were the long-range cruise missiles, and they refer to them as strategic weapon. Um, and also, it seems uh, it was during the weekend, September 11th and 12th. Mm. What a date! First yeah. Of all. Um, and it, they flew 1,500 kilometers, which is around 930 miles, uh, for over two hours. So these were, and they mentioned something like they went in a shape of number eight and in an oval shape. So it means that they sort of went around and round within their territorial water, uh, territorial air. 
Um, it seems hang on, hang on, let, let, let me interrupt there. So you're saying that, so, so these missiles flew over North Korean airspace rather than across the sea towards Japan or towards China. Is that right? Right. It, it was within North Korean territorial air, but in a shape of eight, which means that they tried to, according to experts, this means that they wanted to try longer range with these cruise missiles. Remember, in March, they tested short range yeah. cruise missiles. So this time they wanted to test a longer range, but they don't want to really take anybody off near the region right. by going over the, the 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 territory right so that's yeah. why probably they went for the number eight it seems i can just add add something that um uh one of the experts told me that i spoke to this morning his name is joseph dempsey uh he said quote uh that this that this type of uh cruise missile test quote would uh, appear as a fast UAV or aircraft doing circuits for two hours in its own territorial waters mm. or land before dropping off radar. So um, what he was explaining was uh, that could be a reason why it might not have been detected. We don't know if it was detected in real time by the U.S., or South Korea, or Japan, but it, there's no indication that they did detect it in real time. Right. Um, and that could be a reason why. Uh, yeah. But this, I guess, for for lay people and complete novices like me, this is where we have to uh, to make that that clear distinction between uh, a missile being something that you know it it goes up and then it comes down like a uh, what do you call it an upside down parabola, I suppose, and and that here you've got something that can fly around like an airplane and and then comes down. So it's that that's is, is that what a cruise missile is? Uh, forgive my ignorance. So these are ones that use precision. These are like precision guided munitions. They sort of follow the target and they find the target and hit that. So mm. you can think of the things that fly very on, on low altitudes, lower than the usual things we see on Rodong Shimun when they test something, yeah. um, which is also probably why it maybe went undetected um, if that was the case. I also talked to experts here in South Korea and many of them believe it was either one people uh, the the authorities detected but kept it quiet which is a very um unlikely scenario it could it would have more been like uh, because they look like uavs or something like colin said it was hard to uh, detect the actual flying part even if they uh, they detect the launching part i'm not sure i follow right so because they are they are meant to fly low and follow the target yeah. It's not like it's going up and down like the usual missile radar can catch, like the ballistic, anti-ballistic oh. missile radar. Yeah. So it's difficult, unless they zoom in and use multiple assets, it would right. be difficult for the usual assets to track these uh, lower altitude ones. So we're we talking about something flying very, very close to the ground. Right, and they are gliding um, here and there. Gliding. So from far away, it could look like something else. What would a possible target be in this case? Is it something like a, a surface-to-air missile, something that would go after an airplane? You mean like uh, in war or that they potentially used for their test? Yeah, in, in an actual uh, moment of military aggression in war. It could be anything. I think that the purpose of it is uh, that it's less detectable, um, but you can still target whatever you wish to target. Right, one, but it's, it's, one John, expert John said that it, it follows the target around, so that suggests a moving target, which is why I wondered if it's something that's supposed to go after airplanes. Uh, Professor Yang today said that this uh, the system is similar to anti-ship missile, which means that like mm. the missiles that follow around the ships and trying to target them, but these longer these long-range cruise missiles have longer range, so it, like Khan said, it could be anything. Okay. All right. But it's still, it's not the same as a, uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile, is it? No, it doesn't, doesn't exit the atmosphere. Right. Okay. All right. That's the crucial difference there. Still, uh, is it's, this uh, long range uh, missile? Just, oh, sorry, yes, Andre. Yeah. Uh, basically, you can think about cruise missile as an airplane. Yeah. It has fixed wings and in, in the essence, it's an airplane without a pilot. Ah, okay. It's very simple. While actual ballistic missile is called ballistic because it does not, well, basically, it doesn't have wings. What it is like wings is basically just to correct the kind of trajectory. 
and it moves according to completely different laws of physics. Well, not completely different, of course, but it's seriously different. Right. So it's basically, if you like, an automatic airplane. Okay. As I think it was Colin said, uh, an unmanned aerial vehicle. Or yes. A type yeah, of drone, yeah, but with, yeah. an, with an explosive on there. Uh, I would uh, say an unmanned uh, vehicle with fixed wings. With fixed wings. Is this the kind of thing that's likely to get a negative reaction from the United States? I, I remember in his... In his last year of office, President Donald Trump said that he was prepared to overlook uh, small short range missile launches as they weren't for him a big deal or, or a breach of agreements. What about this? Well, we have a pretty good soundbite from from President Joe Biden from not this time, but back in March, uh, whenever there were reports of the same type of test, but that North Korea didn't confirm the test. Uh, he said it was business as usual, and he pretty much brushed it off. Um, hmm. But uh, and also a pretty well, kind of a pretty standard fare of responses today from the U.S. military saying uh, that it, quote, highlights the threat that uh, North Korea poses to its neighbors in the international community. Um, so it's, you know, there's not a huge response so far. Uh, and again, someone mentioned it's not uh, these aren't Kim Jong Un never promised to stop these types of tests in his self proclaim a moratorium uh, and they, these aren't UN sanctioned types of missiles. Okay, and uh, as John Wynn hinted um, or said, by flying around in its own airspace, it uh, lowers the risk of upsetting any of its neighbors. Right, so it really just fits well into their narrative saying that it's also business as usual for them trying to boost their own defense system, right? Like the US assets coming into South Korea for drills, which North Korea sees it as. And mm -hmm. they say that they, it's like classic North Korean justification um, saying because they see threats against North Korea, they cannot but build, keep building up their defense capabilities. And they always uh, focus a lot on the idea of self-defense, that they are not trying to do any aggression, but that they are defending themselves. And this territory thing really just fits well into that justification. Hmm. Uh, then to what extent is this a case of North Korea signaling that it wants to uh, to talk or to deal with uh, the United States or other countries? I mean, it's business as usual. It's doing it within its own airspace. It's not uh, specifically breaching anything that it said it wouldn't do. Uh, Professor Lankov said, and I think and, and Chewan also said that this is North Korea's message to the outside world. But is it really? Well, and what, what would North Korea expect as a response? I don't know, but uh, it's, it's uh, part of, they mentioned in their report, state media report on this test, that this is uh, in line with what was previewed or what was uh, ordered at the Eighth Party Congress back in January. Mm -hmm. And there was a long list of uh, military developments that the party agreed that they would uh, carry out uh, going forward, like yeah, all reconnaissance drones, uh, a nuclear-powered sub, new nuclear missiles, new multi-entry uh, nuclear warheads, uh, all sorts of stuff. So if you if you just look at it very simply and say, okay, well they're ticking off uh, the boxes of the of their wish list, then what's next, right? Mm. So that could be a, a more uh, implied message, I guess. Jacko, can I? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm always cautious answering the question whether or not certain activity by North Korea is a message to Washington or Seoul. Um, it's because something like message, it's also really depends on how they announce it, how they make it into a um, propaganda or mm. a signaling, it seems. But this time it was very much downplayed. It was on the second page. Kim Jong-un wasn't there, it seems. Mm. Um, and it, it was Park Jong-chun that was leading. And it, it, there were only two photos and no additional photos or videos released during today's KCTV. All in all, it seemed that it was very much toned down. Um, and also from the bigger picture, of course, it could be read as something like a message because the entire wish list that they talked about during the Eighth Party Congress, it, it happened because they think there is a, you know, they have threat perception about the US and they want to, um, you know, keep their deterrence being boosted. But then in a shorter term, like, is this particular missile test meant as a provocation to Washington? I think it's different 
Mm. Um, I think we should see it a little bit more subtly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Does anyone have a, a different idea or disagree with that specifically? Um, so I think I agree that this testing was toned down. It's a good point. Um, and I just want to, you know, um, I, I'm not going to agree or disagree to what Jungmin said, but I'm just going to um, add to this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, experts that Jungmin and I spoke to today assessed that Pyongyang considered China's perspective um, and you know, an expert specifically pointed to the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing, mm. the reason why it might have been toned down. Um, he said, and I quote, you know, it would be like throwing ash at China's feast. So if they like, if they would like to, if North Korea would like to conduct a provocation, October and November would be their mix, mix, maximum deadline if mm -hmm. they don't want to get you know scolded by the chinese right i thought yeah. this was interesting you know it brings china into a conversation brings china into a bigger picture so i just mm -hmm. wanted to you know because we're just all since we were just talking about um north korea maybe toning down it's the launch to launch over the weekend so yeah, the, the Beijing Winter Olympics, certainly uh, it's an important thing to bear in mind. Now, North Korea, of course, last week was told, uh, hang on, what was the message from the International Olympic Federation? Did they say to North Korea, you can't go to Beijing because you didn't go to Tokyo? Did I get that right? Wait, they, they didn't specifically said like you can't go to Beijing, but they barred North, well, they suspended North Korea until end of 2022, which automatically bars North Korea mm -hmm. from attending Beijing Olympics. Right. Okay. So they're not allowed to go, but it would certainly be uh, a step too far uh, for North Korea to to mess up the Olympics for uh, for China. I, I think China would uh, uh, would be expected not to take that uh, lying down. Uh, Wangi, what were you going to add? Yeah, just going to echo uh, what Chongmin said about how difficult it is to read this as a message because as long as they don't say it aloud on newspaper or mm. on KCTV that oh, this is for you, it's, it's, it really depends on how you perceive uh, what's going on in North Korea. And I, I think this also same, uh, applies to the, our discussion about the paramilitary and security forces parade. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, maybe the domestic audience uh, might have been the main target of the parade, but if they are focusing on the message of internal solidarity, and like natural question that follows up is internal solidarity against whom? Mm. And that's, again, can be read as a foreign, a, a message targeting foreign audience. So it, it's, I think a, a really, there's a lot of a different kinds of things going on. And of course, like the optics of it differ very depending on where you are looking this from. Yeah. Is it also part uh, of the, the context that South Korea tested its own a uh, new missile last week, the the SLBM, the submarine launch ballistic missile. Is that part of the context as well? Jekyll, I think that's I, I think that's a really good point. Um, and again, looking from South Korean perspective, I, I guess like that's the uh, natural narrative that we can mm. think of, uh, the narrative of the ongoing arms race. Um, North Korea has its own plan laid out in the Eighth Party Congress. South Korea annually releases its uh, five-year intermediate uh, military plan uh, mm -hmm. by the defense ministry. So there are a lot of plans outlaid in the, laid out in each uh, plans by North Korea and South Korea. And of course, cruise missile is different from SLBM. It's not an apple to apple comparison, but still mm -hmm. it, it is hard to not pay attention to this kind of a back and forth going on, right. at least on the media of South Korea and North Korea. Yeah, and particularly because, as I understand from South Korean media reports, uh, it's not a common thing for a country to have a submarine launched ballistic missile. I think there's only about a dozen nations in the world that have that technology. Is that correct? It seemed, uh, from if I'm not misunderstanding, I think it's eight, including South Korea, but South Korea is the only one without nuclear warheads. Ah, okay. So only eight nations that have it. All right. Uh, Colin, you were about to say something. Uh, it's just, I mean, you, you were talking about the message, but I'll remind that the state media report was quite explicit mm -hmm. about the, the the target of this test today, the, the cruise missile test. It says that it's a, a de effective deterrent, another effective deterrent, mm -hmm. and quote, 
something which a power which will overpower the anti-DPRK military moves of the hostile forces. Mm. Uh, it's clearly saying uh, this is another thing that we have uh, to counter your nuclear weapons that you're aiming at us. Uh, so it's, it's a clear message um, against the United States without saying the word U.S. And the, the timing is interesting, isn't it? Running it over the weekend of the uh, anniversary of the, 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 sorry, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 uh, uh, terror attacks. Yeah, it's a it's a coincidence that um, I've heard both sides. I've heard people say you shouldn't read into mm -hmm. the timing of it, but um, I also, you know, must keep in mind North Korea does have a history of timing things very specifically. Uh, they tested a ICBM on July 4th right. back in 2017, and they said very explicitly in their state media report that that was uh, timed to you know, on North Korea's in, or on uh, the US's Independence Day. Mm. So no such message this time, but it could be, might not be. It doesn't seem that the US really took it that way though, right. if they intended it. Um, I, I think that's probably about it for, uh, for missiles, but let's uh, talk a bit about uh, COVID updates uh, in North Korea. North Korea recently turned down an offer of 3 million doses of Sinovac coronavirus vaccines. What was that all about? Initially, uh, COVAX, remember, Jacko, that there were AstraZeneca vaccines, 1.7 million doses that COVAX already offered to them, and they were delayed, right? Mm. But these are uh, like additional batch that um, there were new funding opportunities for the AMC advanced market commitment eligible countries, uh, these lower income countries where they can sign up for these, and COVAX offered uh, around 3 million, 2.97 million doses of Sinovac, and it seems that they turned it down, and we asked UNICEF, WHO, and WHO representative to North Korea would not really explain exactly why North Korea said no, but they, he simply said that North Korea would be looking for future opportunities, but UNICEF said something like North Korea offering um, to yield these opportunity to less fortunate countries where mm -hmm. because there were a recent surge in numbers and global supply shortage, but uh, med medical experts um, have told NK News that they are likely being a little bit hesitant about Sinovac because some of the side effects are not proven yet unlike other vaccines. And they were also a little bit hesitant with AZ vaccines at first, um, like writing a letter to WHO asking for further information about them. So this could be something similar to the AZ situation. Is there any sign that turning down the Sinovac vaccine could uh, disappoint uh, China or get China's nose out of joint? Well, I think maybe, but then the official reason that they provided was that, oh, uh, we are young, but we are yielding for other countries, these awesome vaccines. So I don't think like officially, they mm -hmm. are not really crossing the line. But, well, if I were China, maybe, but I wouldn't really read into the geopolitics of it. Right. How is North Korea doing, broadly speaking, with countering the COVID pandemic? Is it still officially corona clean, corona free? Officially, yes, zero COVID-19 cases. Okay. And, and has never had any, uh, right? Uh, at least by North Korean official accounts. It's never had even one since the beginning of last year. No, never. Uh, there, there was this um, case when there was the redefection and he was tested um, in, inconclusive, I think. But mm -hmm. then other than that, it seems that there was zero. Okay. Uh, has North Korea reopened its borders for trade yet? Wongi? Trade, uh, I mean, the, tr the volume of trade uh, has been increasing for the past few months. I cannot exactly remember the the, the specific number, I mean, a specific uh, time of window of time, but mm. uh, the volume of trade was increasing. Um, there's been always an activity in the Chinese ports, uh, North Korean vessels traveling there and uh, traveling back and forth. So there must be something going on. Um, but mm. again, it's really hard to know. <laughs> yeah. And do we have any reports or updates on that gigantic uh, disinfection slash quarantine facility? that was built um, around the rail yards in Shiniju. Is, is that Pro receiving goods and passing them through? 
probably Colin will explain more, but the National Intelligence Services said like a month ago that probably North Korea will open it within August, but they didn't really follow up on it yet. It seems no, maybe. Colin? Hmm. Yeah, uh, they, it doesn't, it didn't, again, like I cautioned last time on the podcast, uh, it's, uh, you can't really tell these things without some really frequent high resolution captures of the place, like maybe within one day or a couple of days, but mm -hmm. uh, the lower resolution imagery uh, doesn't look like uh, there's a whole lot of activity there as of last week is maybe the last time um, that I had available imagery. So um, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I don't think. And then we would also probably see some of that reflected in the official trade data about a month late. Um, so I would say no, probably it's not operating, um, but I can't say for sure as of today. Yeah, I would also caution that I don't think they have the capacity in Shinuju uh, with this facility uh, to renormalize trade completely. Um, I'm curious and uncertain as to how good their facilities are and whether they have either the supplies or the equipment required to renormalize re trade completely at given the strict quarantine they've imposed so far and how strictly they would want to, you know, sort of decontaminate things on the border. So even if this one facility were to become operational, mm -hmm. I mean, um, exports from China to North Korea before the border, you know, sort of completely, you know, sort of entered this, uh, you know, COVID closure phase were about 206, uh, let's see, December 2019 was $256 million. And since then, the highest it's ever been is $87 million, which was in, um, June 2020, but most for most of the last year and a half, it's been you know between 10 and 20 million dollars. Mm. Um, so or, or even below for much of that time, actually. I, I, yeah. So are we are we going to get back to, to normal trade volumes anytime soon? I don't think so. But maybe. maybe yeah, I'm good not. point. So we're still uh, looking at a North Korea point. that's more or less shut itself off from the rest of the world at the moment. Um, but they are, have also hmm. built maybe similar facilities at uh at uh, the nampo port at the russian border at Chongjin. it's just uh, those are smaller buildings that they build at the ports kind of in the same time frame um but it's not like this mega facility that they built at the airport in shinaju but yeah good mm -hmm. point it's it, even if they were disinfecting in all those buildings it wouldn't you know that it, it would still be a bottleneck go on check what about movement of peoples across the border? Are we seeing any of that happening yet? Or is North Korea talking about welcoming foreign diplomats back to Pyongyang yet? Or is it still uh, more or less uh, on a lockdown? Nothing official. No, no new diplomats coming into Pyongyang that we know of yet, even though there are a few uh, in waiting. And I think really the only thing is this kind of still unverified report of uh, repatriating 50 or some uh, North Koreans uh, from China. Uh, right. I always wondered about the, the veracity of those reports. I mean, if North Korea wasn't allowing its own diplomats to come back, then why would it welcome, uh, you know, uh, forcible returnees? It, it, it seemed uh, we never, never really got to the bottom of it. Yeah. I think the logic was upon Chinese request, something they maybe couldn't refuse, but mm. uh, I suppose the, the, the joint. The, the, the response to that would be that uh, you, you don't really worry about uh, prisoners getting COVID and you don't worry about labor camp, uh, labor camp, the people in labor camps getting COVID. Mm. Um, that, that would be the logic of that. But to my knowledge, the, I heard that the former now uh, North Korean ambassador to China, Xi Jinping, remains in China and is not able to get back to North Korea. I'm not sure if, if, if right. anyone's got any information on that, but that's what I heard. So he's been relieved of his post, but he's still not been able to get back to Pyongyang. Has anyone got any updates on the former uh, DPRK ambassador to uh, to China? No. Okay. Uh, briefly, uh, before we wind up here, I thought we would talk a little bit about the uh, United Nations Panel of Experts report that's uh, going to be coming out soon. Uh, no date specified, but uh, uh, some people have seen uh, a draft report. This is the report put out twice a year by the United Nations Panel of Experts on Resolution 1874 that enforces sanctions against North Korea. We've got some stories at NK News and NK Pro about it. What are some of the top priority items in the draft report that some of you have seen? Uh, Wongi, do you want to kick this off? Yeah, definitely. Um, the focus, um, I, I think there is a lot, a lot of interesting details and information about uh, North Korea's uh, uh, illicit 
uh, shipping activities. Mm -hmm. So we ran a story about that um, in, in K News that we you can read in our website about uh, a ship uh, that's been detained in a South Korean port. Um, mm. uh, and we went there and then took a photograph and it was a very uh, interesting experience. But anyways, um, I, I think there are interesting details that we can learn uh, about how North Korea's um, illicit ship shipping activities and the way they uh, hide their identity has been evolving. Uh, and it is getting even more and more complicated, which mm. adds challenges to the law enforcing or sanctions enforcing uh, agencies or institutions to keep track of all these activities. Right, because they don't fly under, uh, they don't sail, I should say, under North Korean flag, do they? Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes oh. they don't. Um, it's always, uh, it always adds a difficulty. Mm, okay. What, what are some of the popular uh, flags of convenience that North Korea does use uh, when it uses other countries' flags? Sometimes I hear about uh, Mongolia or Panama or some of the uh, the, the Caribbean nations uh, providing flags of convenience. Anyone have any anything on that? Yeah, right. Like when you look at the panel of exports uh, or reports, you can read the United Nations uh, experts asking uh, countries, is this ship on your registry? Is this ship actually sailing under your flag? And uh -huh. is this ship actually that country belongs to your country? So. Uh, that details is also all there in the uh, panel of experts uh, reports that you can read uh, probably soon. Right, we don't <laughs> never know quite when it's out until it's out. Okay, any uh, any last minute news? Anything else that people have been watching? Um, actually, Chewan, what what has been an interesting story that you've been looking at this week that wasn't the parade or the uh, the missile launch? I feel like everything at this point would have some kind of connection, you know to missile or parade, I feel like um, that's just my personal thought. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, Wang Yi is going to visit South Korea. So they're gonna, I think, I believe he is arriving in Seoul tomorrow. Okay, and, remind our listeners, please, who Wang Yi is? Oh, he's a, he's a minister, he's a foreign affairs minister of China. Mm -hmm. ah. So yes. So these, all these, and also um, South Korea's um, top nuclear envoy, No Gyu Dog, is, is, I, he is going to Tokyo tomorrow, mm -hmm. I believe, um, and have a trilateral meeting there with his Japanese counterparts as well as Sung Kim from the states. You know, so these meetings were all scheduled before the missiles missile launch over oh, yeah. the weekend so now they you know you know people are going to expect them to say something mm. uh, so you know that's something i mean you ask something you ask something that's like unrelated missile launch i mean right. but you know but <laughs> i feel like i mean i was expecting you know i was looking forward to their meetings you know Wangi coming to seoul and mm -hmm. the trilateral meeting um happening in tokyo but now i'm expecting them to say like um, I'm looking forward to what they're going to say about the lunch. Mm. Is anybody able to remind us when the last time was that uh, China sent its foreign minister to Seoul for a visit? Was it recent? Was it long ago? Um, I mean, I joined the NK News in July, um, right? So if he visited Seoul, it's before then. So. <laughs> right, November 2020, it looks like. Okay, all right. So that's uh, it's a good um, good eight uh, ten months then. Yeah, uh, is China still angry with South Korea because of Thad? It's angry because of many reasons, uh, not only Thad. Because what is a sort of surprising development in South Korea? We see uh, a dramatic decline of popularity of China because for many years it was possible to say for decades that South Korea is one of few neighbors of China who don't care about its rice. It's not the case. All indicators about basically tell that in the last few years, maybe starting from the sad issue, uh, there is a grow growing dislike of China among the South Korean public. And now the traditional bad other Japan has mm -hmm. been replaced by China. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be a long-term trend. 
And so basically, um, Chinese are not happy about many things in South Korean politics and South Korean society. And because they have such a kind of, you know, aggressive stance on all issues, they are issuing uh, all these restrictions about Korean pop culture. It's reported by the South Korean media, and it basically makes situation even worse. So basically, the relations are worse than they have ever been over the last, say, 30 years. Okay, and, and I that, don't see I don't see chances of significant improvement. And that's really saying something because South Korea and China have only had diplomatic relations for about 30 years. Yes, it's exactly what I meant. Since the establishment of the diplomatic relations, we never had such a level of anti-Chinese feelings in uh, South Korea. For me, it was a complete surprise, frankly. I didn't expect it to happen mm. and uh, definitely not that fast. Okay, so it'll be very interesting to see whether uh, Minister Wang Yi comes with a um, uh, with a conciliatory tone or with a uh, a warning and chiding tone. I guess we'll have to uh, to see. Um, that leaves us at the or that brings us, I should say, to the end of our uh, our podcast for today. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to have our fun party podcast episode next week, and we won't have to uh, make it all uh, serious because of other news developments that have happened between now and our recording. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you once again for coming and joining us on this special roundtable for uh, episode 200. Wangi, Jongmin, Chewon, Sungyeon, Colin, Peter, and Andre, thanks for coming on the show. And we hope to see all of you uh, next week for our special Ask Me Anything uh, podcast episode number 201. Ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News account, and if you're a think tank, business or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services that are specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. Inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and help us achieve my own personal dream of 10% of Joe Rogan's viewership. And if you have feedback or questions or guest recommendations, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to Arius Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating this podcast and to Gabby Magnuson, our new post-recording producer genius. Thanks and listen again next time. Mm -hmm.